You're listening to the Recoveredish Podcast. I'm your host, licensed therapist, Amanda E. White. All right, welcome back. I am so excited to have Danielle Jackson here. She is a friendship expert. You've probably seen her on TikTok with her amazing friendship videos. Danielle, thanks so much for being here. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me on and and creating space to have a conversation around friendships. Yes, so important. So much going on in like the social media world right now about friendships and all of that. So why don't we start with just because you are a friendship expert, but you also share about you're a human, you're a friend, and you also share about your experience. So I know you were a teacher and then you shifted into this friendship role. What made you drawn to studying and helping people with their friendships? Yeah. So, you know, I always joke that it certainly wasn't on my vision board when I was 10. Like, I'm yes. going to be a friendship coach because people are still like, girl, is that a real job? Um, so, yeah, I started as a high school English teacher and I was teaching 12th graders. So between class and after school, they'd come to me with their friendship related issues. I didn't realize at the time I was kind of coaching them through it. Um, but that's what was happening for a very long time. Um, and then I got out of the education world and I got into public relations for a little bit. And I made the foolish mistake of thinking, oh, I'm not working with teenagers. So I'm leaving that drama behind. Oh, these women are so, you know, and of course, soon I figured out that, you know, even though they're high achieving, extroverted, charismatic women, they too are secretly struggling and platonic relationships. And so one night I was just curious. I went on Amazon. I searched friendship books. At the time, there were very few results. And of the results that appeared, they were for children. Mm. And I thought, this is what we think a friendship that surely a child would need support but adults should have it figured out. And so, you know, I leveraged my uh, education background, um, became certified to coach. And so now for a living, I study what the research has to say about women's cooperation, communication, and conflict. Amazing. Amazing. And you also um, help Bumble too, right? Like you're involved in like Bumble BFF and, and all of that. Yeah, that was that was really exciting. They reached out to me and they were like, "Our team loves your videos and would you be interested in being the spokesperson?" You know, and and it's been it's been amazing because they are all about platonic connections and, you know, their story is people were hijacking the romantic part of Bumble and saying like, "I'm just here for friends." So then they created Bumble BFF within the app and just recently they launched it as its own app. Bumble for friends because it's growing so much. But I think it's wonderful because it speaks to how intentional a lot of us are becoming about creating friendships. Yes, I love that. I think that, I mean, I personally have struggled with friendships a lot through my life. I moved a lot growing up, and I think that really contributed to just feeling very anxious around friendships, feeling, you know, like I don't have a ton of friends that have been with me for my whole life. And I really love just all of your, I think you're very good at being realistic, like and empathizing on both sides. I, you know, on this podcast, a lot of, I, I joke that this is the place with just beige flags and no hot takes. (laughs) (laughs) It's refreshing. Yes. (laughs) We're just really, you know, room temperature here, but I love that you're very, even on a platform like TikTok, right? Like you're very good at being like, this is realistic. This is how, like, I, I was just listening to your podcast about birthdays and it reminded me of, I had a post recently that I did on threads, I think about birthdays because it was recently my birthday. And I was thinking about how I used to be so obsessed with counting the number of happy birthdays I got 
on my Facebook page and, and what a joy it is to grow up and not be, um, as, you know, obsessed with that. But I really loved what you talked about, which you referenced another book, um, about how like birthdays are really this time where we tend to, um, reflect and we take stock of our friendships and maybe that's part of the reason why birthdays are so important. Can you talk Mm -hmm. a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, it's so interesting because I would say, I mean, honestly, maybe 50% of the coaching sessions that I have at some point during that discussion, she's going to mention, you know, and then she didn't do much for my birthday, you know, which was disappointing. And it's like, okay, maybe that's not even what the session's about, but it's coming up at some point. And, you know, like you said, because it is a moment where we're already anxious about, you know, getting older and what does this mean and reflecting on have I accomplished what I want to accomplish. But naturally, one of those things we're kind of auditing is our relationships. What do they look like? Who am I letting go in this new year? I feel motivated to do something new and be a better version what does that mean for my relationships? And so it's funny because I see all the jokes on TikTok about like, ooh, if you can't make the birthday dinner, then you're getting cut off. And so I get it. Um, but I think the reason to your point, I'm, I'm able to kind of speak to both sides is because I've been on both sides and would still like to think of myself as, as a decent woman. And I've been on both sides. I've gone all out for friends and loved on them for their birthday. I have also very recently had to ask a friend's forgiveness for completely forgetting. And, you know, I tried to compensate with, oh my gosh, next weekend, let me take you out. And to show her like, hey, you matter to me. And I, and I slipped and I thank God for gracious friends, but I've been on both sides. And so, you know, I understand that birthdays are such a milestone, um, but I think it helps to kind of measure. I always say measure the evidence your friend has given you over the course of your history. If she has a track record for being down for you and showing up, you know, how much do we want to weigh the fact that she either didn't say happy birthday or that she didn't show up in the way you hoped that she would show up. And so there's a lot going on with that whole milestone, but I know it's, it can be a, a turning point in a lot of our friendships with other women. Yeah. And I think to your point, I think that birthdays are just such a contentious thing sometimes. Like I think with social media, we have this image sometimes of what our birthday should be, of what other people's birthdays look like. And it is really hard when there's a lot of pressure on that day. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we tend to like point to social media as the scapegoat for like everything, but it's, I mean, it's true. Like when you're thinking about what like tangible, like what can I show, I guess, as, as a marker of like how my birthday went and how loved I am. Like this is the day of all days where I expect to be loved on of all days. So when it doesn't look how I'd hoped or how I see other people doing it, you know, what does that mean? What does it say about me? Sometimes we internalize it. What does it say about me? You know, to be a woman without connections and without her group. Uh, And and yes, I'm sure social media doesn't help when you have so many different images of what it could look like. Then, you know, are you missing the mark if you just did something one-on-one with a friend in your backyard? Was that, you know, good enough? So, um, so yeah, it, it stirs up a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I also think it's so hard with friendships because unlike dating, at least I'll I'll speak for myself. I think what's hard for me about friendships and making new friendships is with dating, it feels like there is this plan of what the goal is to get to. If you're interested in a monogamous relationship, Mm -hmm. right? You, you have, you set the follow-up dates, you eventually 
potentially have, you know, define the relationship, you have an exclusivity talk, but with friendships, it's so ambiguous and different people mm-hmm. want different things. And there isn't like an end goal necessarily. Yeah. Do you find that a lot of the people you work with have anxiety like that? Or what do you think are some of the biggest challenges with making new friends as an adult? Yeah. So I've been thinking a lot lately about friendship through the life cycle. And what I'm noticing is, you know, especially with my audience, it's mostly maybe older Gen Z and millennial women, right? So most of us are in the same life stage. We have the same life tasks. Our availability looks relatively similar. Our goals look relatively similar. So we're all kind of like coming up together. But when I take like an aerial view of that, and I look at where we came from, you know, for, for, most people, maybe you're going to school, maybe you went to college, but we had the backdrop of like this, this social institution to kind of help facilitate these connections. And it became about making friends. And then suddenly, you know, the research shows that our, our networks grow exponentially until about the age of 26, at which point they decrease. And so it becomes about friendship maintenance. Like, how do I hold on to all these people when I have other priorities competing for my energy? Maybe some friends begin to get laser focused on their career advancement. Some are worried about establishing family ties. That is priority right now. And so how, where does friendship even fit in? And I think many of us see for the very first time that it's something that takes our intention. Whereas before there were so many other forces helping to introduce new people into our lives, helping us Uh, see each other frequently. So we formed bonds and now we've got to do it on our own. And I do think a lot of us are kind of, you know, having a reckoning with that, like, oh, well, well, shouldn't it be easier? And should I have to schedule? And if she didn't think of me on her own, what does that say that she didn't initiate? And so I just want to give a little credit to just the natural rhythm of the life cycle that it's normal. And if you find yourself in a season of like, okay, I think I'm ready to position myself to invite new connections into my life. It does require intention and you have to, you know, hold space, but like make room for exactly what you said. People want different things. They have different availability. Um, I'm learning to let go of language, like a good friend and a bad friend. And it's more about compatibility. That is so relative. Are you high touch? low touch? What what kind of friendship experience are you looking for? And it's less about like, well, then you're a crappy friend. If you don't check in, if you don't, it's all relative. And it becomes about finding people who want the same kind of friendship experience, who are, you know, supportive and they, they see you and they, you know, are, are affirming to, to who you are and what you're looking for. Yes. I think that that is really not talked about. Like, so I have a couple, like, I love to text. I love being in a group chat. I love to just like check in probably because of my anxiety. It like gives me this tangible, right? Like you're still my friend. You still like me sort of situation, but some people hate group chats and they're super overwhelmed. And one of my best friends, he is so overwhelmed by them. He hates being in them. And he has like no understanding of of how anyone would want to be in one. And I just, I I want so badly for more people to understand that it is not always about how much someone loves you or their intention. And it really, I've had a lot of friends who aren't great texters and I used to take it so, so personally, again, as like this evidence that you don't like me or you don't even bother to check in. And it is really just that people want different things and have different experiences expectations and are different with what they think of as friendships. For some people, having their phone go off all the time, especially if they're not on their phone, is really overwhelming. I'm on my phone a lot. So it's like not super overwhelming because I like keep up with it. Um, Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so good. Yeah. One thing I, I try to remind people of, remind myself of is the quickest way to um, maybe strain a friendship is to believe that what is obvious to you should be obvious to them. I mean, God, if I had a dollar for, you know, the number of times a woman said like, I mean, Danielle, come on, like, she's my friend. She should know. <laughs> I should not have to say that. I shouldn't have to say, and I understand. I really do. But to your point, if I'm measuring, uh, uh, your, your care, by how often you text me and I think it should happen at a certain frequency, I might be disappointed. I might, you know, consider somebody else a friend because they check in a lot, but are they supportive? Do they, you know what I mean? Like what else am I measuring? And I think again, what helps to kind of close the gap, but we don't want to do is to front load conversations with that. Again, it feels very foreign to do that in a platonic space because we like to subscribe to the idea of, you know, friendship should just be like natural. Like it should just you know, like if I have to have conversations, I mean, are we really clicking? And so, you know, I think chemistry is nice, sure. But like to be able to say to a newish friend, hey, just FYI, I am so bad at texting. Like I'm working on it. I'm so bad. So just a heads up, girl, if you do not hear from me, like just call me, just, just call me. I'd rather talk, you know, but at least she can manage her expectations and then also not take it so personally when you are not showing up in a way that mirrors how she shows up. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. I love that like being responsible for what you bring, what you expect. And I think that is a huge crux in friendships is that we expect people to know about us. We also, I think can get stuck right in like, I'm going to treat her how I want to be treated and not I want to treat her how I know she wants to be treated because what is supportive for her, right, may be different than what's supportive for me. And I think we don't, like you said, I think that is so interesting that I hadn't thought about is that we have this idea compared to, we know relationship, we know, you know, romantic relationships are a lot of work, but I think we don't talk about how friendships are a lot of work. Yeah, totally. And yeah, I, I think, you know, I always try to frame the conversation too about support with, you know, there's tons of research that continues to echo the, the same thing. And that is that the number one thing women seek in their same sex friendships is emotional support, which probably doesn't surprise us. We know that intuitively, like, yeah, actually, that does determine whether or not I feel like we could be cool. But the problem with that I found is that it's just so relative. And so we all are out here expecting, uh, of course, you're going to, you know, support me and hold me down. But for me, it looks like checking in, that's supporting me. But for you, it looks like, you know, showing up. You know, for me, it looks like you initiating hangouts, you know, but for you, it looks like just saying yes every time I initiate the hangout. Like that is you being supportive. You're always down, but you expect me to have the ideas and get it popping. So it's just like we assume that we can only see what looks like support to us and we expect that she mirror it. And then I think what makes it worse is feeling like we shouldn't have to communicate it because the need to communicate it is evidence that we must not be as close as I thought we were. And just when you put all those ideas together, it's just kind of messy. And yeah, we've got we've to make space for, it's normal for me to say what I need in a way that doesn't feel like I'm going through a list of my rules, but just like what I like, like, oh, you know, this is kind of, these are my tendencies. This is what I like. What about you? You know, um, to learn people. And then to your point, adapting to what your friends, uh, what they need, because we're all different. Yeah. Yeah. When you said that, it just reminded me of whenever I post kind of about friendship, because one thing that really changed my life was I had a therapist 
I don't know, 10 years ago or something, who I used to be very caught up in like having a best friend, having a friend group, what that all meant. And um, I would be very quick to like, oh, we don't have this in common anymore. There's no point in investing in that friendship. And my therapist was like, you can have friendships for different reasons. Like not every friend is going to be great to travel with. Not every friend is going to have the same hobbies as you. Some, you know, we need work friends. We need all these different types of friends. So anyway, yeah, when I post about that, sometimes I say on Instagram that and people will sometimes say what you said, which is, I know, but I'm always the one initiating. I can't do it anymore. I'm, I'm exhausted. And obviously every relationship is different and we're not recommending someone stay in a friendship that isn't good for them. But do you tend to see some like extremes in this behavior or what is your kind of, what do you help people with who are just so exhausted and feel like they're always the one making the effort? Yeah. um, I think the first order of business for me when I hear that is to just like take a pause and help us to just look at other perspectives that's it. So I'm not defending the other person. And I'm also not being like, I know that's so annoying. Right. And and all those platitudes of like, if they can't show up, then you just need to let that go. Cause you just cut them out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Bro. Like you deserve like, okay. You know, I, I mean, we'd be letting everybody go if we were like, you just need to feel it. And if you don't, then just cut it off. And so, you know, so that whole thing, if I had to rank like the top three things I hear, that would be one of them. I feel like I'm always initiating. And so I always give free tips to that. The first is you might just be the initiator friend. Now, some people are like, I reject that and I don't want that. And I understand that because we all want to feel desired, even in a platonic sense. I want to know my friends are somewhere thinking like, man, I miss Danielle. Right. I want to hang out with her. Let me call her like that. They're active about me. So I get it. I want to feel desirable in a platonic way. So I get it. But for some of us, we are naturally really good at like having an idea of what to do this Saturday. You know, I remember a while ago when I was coming out of college, I remember a a close friend of mine, I was always initiating things. Mm. And so she asked me one day, she was like, well, what are we doing this weekend? And I was like, well, (laughs) I don't know. Do you have ideas of what we could do? It it was snippy and I was like resentful. And she paused and she was like, oh, I'm sorry. I just, I mean, I don't know like all the cool spots like you. I, Mm. I don't know what to do. And in that moment, it registered for me. She doesn't even feel confident in her choices. She's yeah. scared I'm going to reject her ideas. So she's never going to put herself out with, hey, are you free? Let's go here. That was yes. never going to happen. And it humbled me really quick. So you might be the person who's just better at coming up with ideas and reaching out. Uh, the second thing is I hear a lot from women who don't feel confident to reach out to their own friends. Mm. They say, oh, I know she's got the baby. And like, I don't want to. I don't want to. So a lot of us are doing it for what we believe to be noble reasons. Mm. Oh, I know she's booed up now. I know she just got married. So I I, want to be respectful. But we see that as like, wow, I got married and all my friends just like backed off. So there's a gap there, you know. Um, And then the last thing I say, if you feel like you're always initiating is you can invite your friends to participate. So let's Mm. say that you're always making brunch plans, right? You know, I would wait until when you guys are on a high, you're laughing, you just had brunch. And then maybe say something like, hey, I know like the last couple times we got together, you know, I was giving my ideas of what we should do. And I know that you probably have like ideas of different things we can do too. So how about next weekend, you tell me. How about you tell me um, where we're going and I am down, you know, it's playful and it's, but the subtext is the same. The subtext is it is your turn now. And it also gives her permission 
to like to to be more active and it shows her I would really enjoy that and so you know those are ways to tell her I need that too without it feeling so accusatory yeah I love that I think that that is I'm sure you saw the you know the TikTok that went viral about that therapist who was like mm-hmm. explaining the the therapist you know and then yeah. that led to I think that whole article about therapy speak and stuff so I love Danielle how you're talking I think you speak in a way that is actually very you can use those that language and it isn't like therapizing and weird because it can be really weird and jarring to be like, so I wanted to have a conversation with you about this. It's been really bothering me. Like I need this, you know, it just can, it can be weird. And I think that we need more language of how to joke in a way. Sometimes obviously not every situation is going to call for humor, but Mm -hmm. to your point, it doesn't always, I think need to be so serious and a huge deal. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Totally. Because when I think about it the other way, like, yes, I would want a friend to tell me if there's, there's a lack or she's disappointed or she needs something. I would hate to find out she didn't tell me because she thought I'd be mad or whatever. But I also don't want her to sit me down formally and be like, we need to talk. Right. Because it just like changes the tone. And so it's just like, you know, I don't know. You know, first of all, I have a confession about the therapy speak thing. Okay. Let me, I'm just going to put it out there. Tell me. Okay. My confession is I agree. Therapy speak, it's it's annoying and there's something about it. I think it turns people off so much because in the context of relationship, if you suddenly go from we're texting our mm. business to each other and then you talk to me like HR, yes. it's automatically going to turn me off. It feels cold. And it feels dismissive of everything we built and everything that you know. Mm. And so it's not congruent with the love that we have for one another or the history that we share. So that's why that- That is like a mic drop. That is exactly Yeah, I Uh think people really haven't been able to explain that. And that's like, I was thinking maybe it's because we're creating a power dynamic, which maybe Mm. HR way it is. But I I think it's really, I think it's exactly what you said. It is not congruent with how you yeah. have a conversation, how you talk, your relationship. It doesn't go together. Like, yeah. girl, I was just holding your hair while you right. vomited. And now you want to talk to me about <laughs> your capacity? Right. Like, exactly. your capacity? <laughs> and so, like, for me, I'm, I'm saying this to you now, right? And intellectually, I'm like, oh, let me explain it. I got to be honest. Because I, I I make mistakes and I have not had friend drama in so long, thank the Lord. Like yeah. I, I I'm so thankful that I have friends who we are relatively reasonable people. Yeah. We can like have a conversation. Okay. However, recently I had a thing with a friend and I felt very anxious because I'm like, mm. this is so weird. And it's been so long. And she was doing something that like turned me off. I didn't want to say because I didn't know. And so we finally had a talk of like, you know what? Enough with the texting. Let's get on a call. Okay, let's get on the the call. And I found myself leading with therapy speak. Mm -hmm. Despite everything I've said and everything I believe, it was coming out of my mouth. And I have reflected on that. And I know exactly what it is. is because it is more vulnerable to say feelings words. Mm. Uh, and it's easier to, to grab at language that's just right there on the shelf. So it's so easy to say, you know, I've just been like reflecting on it and I don't know that I have the capacity to hold space for it. It's, it's easier and it feels safe because it does distance them. And I was grabbing for it and I heard my voice coming out and had to like pause and just like sit with how I felt and the feeling language came out, which was more uncomfortable. So to say like, mm. hey, I actually, I've been struggling lately because there's something I want to say 
But the last thing I want is for it to be awkward between us. And I just like, like, don't get mad, but I'm feeling some kind of way. Felt so much more naked Mm. and vulnerable, um, but it was way more genuine. And so I feel like if we take a beat, you know, and if that language weren't available to you, yeah, what would you say if you weren't trying to put on a show and look for a, you know, a chat GPT script on what to say? <laughs> to break it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And we'll have like a lot more heart, you know, and right. people can respect that. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I think what's really missing sometimes too is what you said. Is this like you acknowledging what's going on for you that's leading you to feel that way. I mean, I did a whole episode on like Jonah Hill and the boundaries and and mm-hmm. all of that. And I was like, what is so missing from this conversation is like, I'm really insecure right now. And it's manifesting like this, which is leading me to feel, you know, like that. And mm-hmm. I think that is really needed in friendships, especially when they're not your partner. So they don't know what's going on for you probably as much. They probably don't imagine, they don't think, you know, you're their amazing friend. They probably aren't imagining that you feel insecure or that you, you know, are struggling with something necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think an an extra layer I've just been wondering about and and chewing on lately is especially between two women. Do we have the space to just like say the thing like, oh, you know how a guy can be like, man, you're being an a-hole. Yeah. Like stop, you know, but we always have Mm -hmm. that second voice of like, okay, am I going to look like I'm being drama? Am I going to look like the bad guy? Am I going to look like a biatch? Am I going to look like, you know, so, so we're trying to manage our rage and our appearance. I want to maintain an appearance of cooperation while also communicating my feelings. So I'm, I, I, I want to acknowledge, I think that's a layer as well. So it is complicated, but I just think reaching for those safe, empty phrases is just going to make her, I think, lose respect. Yeah. And I think it's also like, what is capacity? Like it's using all these words that don't even have necessarily like agreed upon definition. So it's like, what is capacity? What is emotional availability mean for you? Like they're just, yeah, you could look up the definition, but they mean different things than just being like, I've been really struggling and I'm drowning because I just had a baby or I just got a new job. Like that's language that someone knows what you're saying. Yeah, totally. But it's hard. It's hard. It is. It's so hard. (laughs) It's, it's, yeah. I mean, this is, I think, the whole thing that we're saying is just that there isn't like a rule book for this. There isn't a structure, at least even I think you were saying about school and stuff is, you know, how often you'll see friends, you know, you'll see your friends in school or even when you're in college, right? You know, you'll see your friends at a party or maybe you're in the Mm -hmm. same club or activity or around the dorm or whatever. But yeah, like when you are an adult, you may not see friends for months for you could move, And I I think our generation is also grappling with that because we are more spread out than than other generations too. So people who aren't as good at texting or calling or keeping in touch are going to have more trouble than, you know, previous generations who just lived near a lot of their friends and didn't move around. So they had a lot more people close to them physically. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I really appreciate you 
um, like throwing that into the conversation because, you know, we always are like, oh, it's so hard to make friends as an adult. And there are so many barriers and challenges, but every now and then I do like to stop to do what you just did is such a great point about what are some things like environmentally or culturally that also are making it difficult. It's not just, you know, you can change your behavior all day and be right. more intentional and all that. But, you know, if we're hanging out and fewer, you know, this conversation around third spaces and we're more mobile than before. And a lot of our friendships are built through you know, clocking hours together in yes. proximity and mere exposure and all those things are removed, then yes, it requires us to do like extra work as individuals to make it happen. So, you know, for the person who is feeling like, I feel like it's so hard, you know, to, to their credit and validation, there are so many things culturally we would have to readjust to create more communities and, and, and things in place to help support the development of, of community and, and social ties. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I wanted to touch on two because I think in lieu of what we're kind of talking about with friendship breakups and with all of that, um, I posted something recently where I kind of said that I think sometimes we can be too quick and too dramatic to cut off friendships. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, it's like having that HR friendship breakup versus I've had people drift in and out of my life. And one of the best Mm. things I've done over the past 10 years is not always cut someone off just because we don't see each other enough, or maybe we have a difference, but then, you know, I don't know, we reconnect over going to the same workout class where we both now have babies the same age. And I'm so glad I didn't cut off those Mm. friendships. Um, and some people like that and some people didn't, but I wondered if that's something that you see with your research or with your clients that sometimes we can be, we're not good at letting people just kind of be acquaintances or floating in this ambiguous space. Yeah. Okay. So I definitely have thought about that and I have a couple just like reflections on that. The first is, I think it's exactly what you said. I think it's, um, maybe not even knowing other options. So I think like the number one thing is knowing, well, what's the alternative? Like it feels kind of weird and I feel disrespected by this thing. So I'm just done. So I think one might be not even having like an available list or like a knowledge of, well, what are my other options? Maybe I can reduce frequency with the friend. Mm. Maybe I can kind of recategorize her. I've been thinking of her as bestie, but what if I allowed myself to enjoy her as, you know, I don't know, my workout buddy yeah. and stop expecting her to be able to like fulfill me spiritually. Yes. Like what if I just adjusted? <laughs> Could I find satisfaction in the relationship still if I just kind of engage with her a little bit differently? And so not even knowing the options, I think is one. I think another, I, I again, I've just been reflecting on this is I don't know how much of it is driven by anxiety. And this is definitely your lane, but like, I need to know what it is. We're on or we're off and that that ambiguity like it just makes me so anxious so you know what i'm going to take control and i'm going to decide we're done yeah like i'm yes. done with her and so and so i get it but i wonder how much of it you know is that as well and then to your point i think letting some friendships breathe or being able to say like okay i don't know like what this weird phase is but we haven't been checking in with each other I don't know. Like, I'm just going to let it sit and let it breathe and not having to decide. And to your point, because they might come back around. And again, I think a lot of us are in a certain life stage right now. And there's so much noise and advice on social about what to do. And I think just 
if we took an aerial view, we would see like, there's so much more life ahead. And, mm. you know, I like to kind of anchor these conversations and, you know, there's a, a research study that finds that we replace half of our friends every seven years. Mm. And so like, it's going to happen again. There's this natural friendship pruning that happens. Yeah. We know that intellectually, we know, oh, of course, every friendship's not going to last and, right. and they're going to change. We know in our brain, but when it happens, we're like, no, wait, what's going on? Oh, I guess she's not a real friend. Like, <laughs> I haven't heard yes. from her in two months. Like, here we go. Fake, fake, fake. Like, girl, or maybe, I don't know, maybe she's going through it. Maybe you could ask her. Maybe she is having a thing. Maybe you guys can reconnect, you know, next summer. You know, so I just, I, I think it's just, it requires, I think, courage to be able to say, I don't know what's going on. I'm going to reach out and ask her or to say, I I mean, I hate to say it. It also requires courage to say, you know what? I don't think I have the energy to kind of maintain this. Yeah. There have been new people who've come into my life. Yeah. I don't know that I'm even like, that I even care enough anymore. I yeah. care about her as a person, but I don't think I want to invest those hours. I have limited hours with my job and my relationship and my baby. Yeah. I don't think I have it to give. And um, and hopefully we're still cool. But, you know, so it takes courage to to let things breathe and to make tough decisions. It's, it's a brave thing to do, but I think the whole binary of we're either super besties or you just need to leave, I think is, is not only problematic, but I think you are um, risking your own, just like self-development. Like it's, you know, like you need texture in your social Mm. circle. Is it even really possible to have besties or nobody at all? Is there room for people who only understand you in one way and that's okay because it affirms that aspect of your identity and you feel very seen there. And so just what does it do to you as a person to limit yourself to besties only? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Cause I think we do kind of, I practice what I've been preaching and I do allow like acquaintances and stuff like that. But I sometimes I think have this false idea that if everyone were my best friend and I had this like mm-hmm. amazing relationship with everyone, then my yeah, life would be maybe. better. But I think that's a really good point of like, there is just a difference and there is something nice about having acquaintances, having neighbors, having people. Yeah. Like I've always thought of it as, well, not everyone can be everything. So I'm going to just have to accept that. And like, yeah, that's not ideal, but it is the way life is. But I really like your point of maybe that also is like a good thing because I mean, number one, it could be an insane, I'm sure it would be an insane amount of work to maintain having, you know, tons and tons of besties. Mm -hmm. But also, like you said, it gives like texture and difference and uh, yeah, makes your life interesting, I think too. And I mean, again, if you flip things around, if we're keeping it real, you're not everything to everybody either. Yeah. So like what a relief that, you know, somebody just sees me as their as their mom friend. And that's all that I have to do. And I don't, and I'm definitely not saying that. And I'm like, I, I want to be lazy and pass right. friendship play, but what a relief that she finds joy in me mm-hmm. in just this domain. And that's all I have to show up is for play dates. And we kiki a little bit and yes. have a mocktail and whatever. And that's all I have to be. And there yeah. are also the expectations that I'd be other things. So what a relief that we can enjoy each other in that way. And, you know, I don't want to take away from, I, I feel like both of us being heavily on social media, we're prepared to like, respond and anticipate to the people who are like, but what about, yes, okay, so I me, joke okay. about that all the time. I'm like, my brain is permanently altered where I can think of every single, what about 
That's all right. I'm to say. Right. So you have to be like, and I, and I don't mean that's for everybody. Like, this doesn't apply to everyone. Oh my God. Okay. Like, fast forward <laughs> that. But it's just like, it's just like, it, what joy we have when we find ways to enjoy people in different capacities. Mm. I don't want to detract from people who are like, no, but I, I want more than that. I want more. Yeah. That's great. We do. You're absolutely right. We do need some close friends. I know it's popular. People often point to Dunbar's number, which is this theory that we only have the yes. capacity for 150 social connections, like in our brain. And mm-hmm. if you think of that as like a big circle and then smaller concentric mm. circles within that, it gets smaller and smaller, yet closer and closer. So the smallest circle within that 150 circle is five that we have the cognitive capacity to maintain five super tight friendships. And then outside of that, 10 to 15. Yeah. Which is, is a nice little range. And, you know, there's research that shows that people with relational diversity are happier. Mm. So get out there and have what we call, you know, weak ties, people who aren't close, but you have a good relationship and it adds value to your life. But again, the conversation about texture and friendship, not expecting people to be all the things. And if you do have some people in your life you'd like more depth with, you pursue that. You prioritize them. You try to do some things to kind of like create depth and invite them in. But the expectation that everybody must offer this, I just, you know, it's not realistic. And it's just going to set you up to kind of, you know, be a little bummed. Yeah. It's it's a lot of pressure, I Mm -hmm. think, I think too. Yeah. I think that that is so interesting. And I think that it I think that's some of the nuance that's missing on social media mm-hmm. sometimes. Like I think sometimes we are very – because sometimes the people that do feel – I just – I mean this is just my what I see on social media. But I see more narratives maybe because we didn't talk about this earlier. But I see more narratives that are people saying, I'm always the one reaching out. I'm always the one reaching out. I'm exhausted. I'm sick of it. Um, but I really loved what you said about how it's like also courageous to be like, I to tell someone and be like, I can't, I don't have the capacity to be that for you. I wish, I wish I did. And it is interesting as a therapist, I do see that people, I don't think talk about it as much on Mm. social media because Mm -hmm. I think they're afraid of being demonized. But Mm -hmm. I do see it a lot of someone saying, I don't know what to do. I want to help my friend. My friend is struggling with their mental health, but I can't be their only support. And I think that that's a really important thing too of if you do feel like you're overly relying on someone, you need to work on expanding your circle a bit Mm. because one person can't do all of that for you. And it's, you know, I think we have a right to all have our needs met, but we don't always get to choose how those needs are met. And we can't choose this one person. I want them to meet all my needs. Ooh, that's so, that's so good. That's a good connection between like, it's almost, if you think about it, like based on what you said, an act of generosity to your friend to have other friends. And there's, you know, research around how our ties, like how we're all connected, you know, to sound woo woo, but like, (laughs) you know, there's research out of Harvard saying that, you know, if you have a happy friend, like that person's happiness radiates three degrees, like it makes your friend happy and their friend happy, you know, up to three degrees. And so like, really, we are affecting one another. So if you have the friend who's super negative or overly reliant to you, like, is it even healthy for them to need you to understand them, affirm them, to be available when they need to talk through something? It's not even realistic and it's not fair to you. And so like, yeah, we need other people. We need community and it's not meant to to exist, I don't think, in just these small little dyads Mm -hmm. all the time. Um, And so, yeah, so that's, that's such a great point. 
And yeah, I think we can start to flirt with codependency when we have to be mm. all, all the things for everyone. I wanted to touch on friendship circles and groups of friends, especially like with women and stuff like that. I feel like it's some, a lot of my clients all say to me, I really want a friendship group. I, I, you know, maybe it's because of social media. They're like, I need a certain amount of bridesmaids. I need this whole thing. And I think that it's easier sometimes for people to meet individual friends because of, you know, like maybe Bumble BFF or there's someone you see at a coffee shop and you meet them. But do you have any tips or insights about someone who wants to spend time? Like, I mean, I think there is something inherently unique and nice about spending time with a group because it's less pressure. Does the research support that? Yeah. So you definitely like there's, there's definitely benefits to both friendship experiences. Yeah. When we're in these dyadic relationships, it practically, it's just easier to coordinate. Mm. It's easier to experience reciprocity because like you talk, I talk, I get yeah. you. So it's easier to manage. I think there's even research that looks at how we congregate and they found that I think it's like 52% of people socially are in pairs mm. and then 18% in trios, 9% in foursomes. And so on and so forth. Yeah, whatever okay. that, that whatever word is. That is protects, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, so if a person, if you're like, God, I'm always just like one-on-one, you're, you're in good company. And a lot of it is, I mean, I hate to kind of like take the romanticism out of all of it, but like a lot of it is just practical. It is yeah. easier to coordinate hangouts. It's easier to talk, take turns. Yes. It's just yes. more practical. But if you're in a space where you're like, no, I enjoy a friendship group, I, I personally, I think a lot of that desires come from two things. One, I think 100% social media, 100%. I've had clients who literally will mention wanting a, you know, a, a, a friend group. And I'm like, okay, cool. Let's talk about that. But first, like, what, why is this top of mind for you? And I literally had conversations where they're like, well, you know, that trend on TikTok where people are like showing off their friend group with the, like, the group chat. And I'm like, okay, yes, yes, I do know. I'm very familiar, you know? And so, you know, and, and not to poke fun, but it's just showing how powerful and how yeah. much of an influence these images are and what we start to desire for ourselves. And so I totally get all that. Um, I just think be be cognizant of what each kind of experience offers you. So with the group, sure, it adds a sense of community, which is nice. I think we're all experiencing maybe collective loneliness, uh, you know, which means you are hungry to be a part of something greater than yourself. Mm. So, you know, intimate loneliness, you lack being known intimately. Often that's yeah. satisfied by a partner or um, a best friend. And the relational loneliness, you lack friendships. And then collective loneliness. I, I, am I a part of something bigger than myself? A lot of people have this satisfied with, you know, church or civic yeah. organizations or, or whatever, sororities, right. whatever. Yeah. I think because so many of us want that, but are not mm. plugged in anymore in that way. Yeah. We're thinking like, if I'm in a group, I'll feel like I have all these people behind me. I'm a part of something bigger. So I get that. I mean, there are ways to construct that, you know, Bumble yeah. for Friends just became its own app and they have a feature that lets you select people like your matches, invite them to a group chat. And it prompts you through like your hangout, like pick what kind of hangout you want to do to meet up in real life. So they have cool features like that. Um, I, I have also personally have like texted different friends I have in isolation and been like, Hey, what's your availability over the next couple of weekends? Yeah. And individually get their availability, put them together in a group chat and say, hey, ladies, you know, we're getting together on Saturday, blah, blah, blah. We're going to this place for like an hour or so to like have some tapas. So if you're down, you know, in yeah. a, do like an invite of who's who. 
So I've done things like that. And there's definitely something to the community feel. I just think be aware of the other things that come with it. So I always say like in a friendship trio and things like that for it to work. One, you all need your friends outside of a group. Mm. Two, you need relatively secure attachment because there are more instances for you to feel rejected when two of them do something and you weren't included. Maybe just because you weren't around. Right, you right. You have to have a secure attachment to thrive in a friend group, you know? Mm. And, and, you know, so there's, there are things to consider, I think, about both kinds. And I think both offer something very special to your point. But ask yourself, what are you trying to satisfy by having a friend group? Maybe it's that you need to tend to. I don't feel seen or I need people to hang out with. Okay. And what are other ways we can achieve that? Maybe it's not through direct friendships. Maybe it's through, you know, oh, I do need to get plugged into like a community group or like a mommy group. Or, you know, or even like going to a coffee shop and sitting there, even if you don't talk to someone, I think sometimes that can fill or like going to a workout class, even if you don't talk to people, I think sometimes can fill that or a concert, right? I think about, you know, like you can feel part of something. That's so cool. I I love that you also share about the drawbacks because I think people put friendship groups on this pedestal and they don't think about it is going to be more complicated when you're in a French mm-hmm. group, group. There's always going to probably be like at some point, someone who's not getting along with someone else and yep. you're going to have to navigate that, that also. And that um, I think can be tough too. Yeah. It's really, it's really hard. And I hear, I mean, all the time, like, Oh yeah, we're all cool. But I don't know, like the last couple of times, like they've been going out themselves. I recently, you know, worked with a client who, you know, a lot of them are having, going through like a, a big milestone together, but they invited each other, but not her. And so mm. she's like, wait, what does that mean? Cause I thought we were all equally close. Yes. So there's a lot of that that happens and it can be, it can be kind of tricky, but again, I appreciate what that offers in terms of a sense of community. Uh, but, in, and I've also noticed people show up differently in a friend group. Mm. Like I'm pretty like social and extroverted, but in a group, I might be kind of chill to let whoever the the chatty one is, let her have her shine, you know? And so people open up a little bit less in a group, you know? So you have to look at those dynamics as well. I've heard people say they prefer a group because a one-on-one feels intense. They do feel very deeply seen and it feels uncomfortable. They like the anonymity sometimes that comes with being in a group. So there's some of that to like reflect on as well. Yeah. What is, I mean, we can go into this like at another point too, if you come back about your book, but what is, I'm just curious, what is like most of your book going to be about? Is it going to be about all these different topics or what is a lot of your book about? Yeah. So the book is tentatively titled fighting for our friendships. And I just noticed that, you know, there are so many great friendship books, which I'm grateful for. And I always say like, you should have tons of friendship books in your library, you know? Um, but a lot of them are either, very uh they can be highbrow mm-hmm. and that's nice to like know certain things yeah um or it becomes like a guide and it's yeah. like just like tips 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 hacks tips tips scripts tips yeah and so it kind of i feel like would be nice to understand from a more aerial view what are the mechanics mm-hmm. what are the mechanics of female friendship how does it work why do we fight what does the research say about the longevity of our friendships. Why are they shorter than men's friendships? What is that about? Mm. You know, so just kind of looking at like, what is the science around what makes us feel connected as women? What turns us off? Why do we fall apart? Why do we have a reputation for being petty and competitive? What is that about? Is there some truth to that? And why? So kind of like looking at the whys of how we come together, how we fall apart. But then of course, there's a section that's got the practical because, you know, we can say all this rah-rah stuff about like, 
women coming together, but the friendship is formed with like a combination of the daily things, you know, yes. what do I do when I feel like she's clingy, you know, mm-hmm. can, what do I do? What do I say? So there's some of that too, but it really takes a high level of the mechanics of women's friendship and, and conflict uh, because conflict is inevitable, but so many of us fall apart at that point because again, we believe, you know, from the, from when we were young, we had those mantras of best friends forever. So mm. I'm not even expecting to have beef with you because we're friends. So yeah. the, the presence of a conflict I take as evidence that we weren't meant to be friends. And I don't have any models of how to work through it or to talk through it and be okay afterwards. Yes. And so just kind of equipping us to navigate conflict so we can be hopefully even stronger afterwards. I love that. That's going to be so great. I completely agree with you in terms of what books are on the market. And um, I think that's what makes just all of your advice, Danielle, like so approachable and amazing. And I could talk to you forever. Can you share really quick what makes women's friendship, why men have longer friendships than women? I think that's fascinating. Yeah, I can. Okay. So what's so interesting is like, yeah, I study, you know, women's friendships, but you can't help but be in that world and see what it says about men in comparison. And so I know some could say, see, I'm doing it again. I'm like doing those caveats. I know some people could say I'm generalizing. Well, this is what I'll tell you, Danielle, is that there's always like 900 caveats on this. I literally okay. can't handle it. And I almost always start the episode by being like, okay, you know, you all know, but these are the caveats. So I think this audience is very well trained. Okay. Okay. And I also talked to somebody who was like, at some point, stop the caveats because it waters down what you have to say. And you just say it and, and we can <laughs> all tussle, you know, later. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So I know I'm generalizing, but a lot of research is talking about general tendencies. Okay. But, um, so it's a couple things. One is women have higher expectations than Mm. men do in their close relationships, not just platonic, but in romantic relationships as well. And so in heterosexual marriages, 70% of them are initiated by a woman. So we expect certain things Mm. from our close relationships. And when that's not there, then we get upset and and things dissolve. Okay. So we start the bar pretty high. There's that. Then in terms of how we even qualify or count or, con- or define friendship is different. So for example, for most women, we consider somebody who offers support, uh, self-disclosure, very important to creating intimacy. So if those things make a friendship, men are not defining it in the same way. Now across the board, yes, we all want the same things, but they're not saying, hey, my number one thing is this guy's got to offer me emotional support mm. is the number. That's not happening. So if we're defining it differently, that means we're going to register violations differently. And so our friendships are deeper but they are more fragile because we're bringing so much to the table that I take it very seriously when you violate certain things. But if I'm distant from you to begin with, then I'm, it's not going to hit as hard if you don't call me for my birthday, kind of messed up, but like, whatever, do you want to go play ball tomorrow? And so I'm simply, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not trying to be reductive about men's friendships, but typically they do operate in a certain way, which probably is contributing to the, you know, the crisis of men's loneliness people right. are often talking about. Sure. Um, but what happens is, you know, men will still refer to somebody as their friend who they haven't talked to in five mm. years. We're probably not doing that. If I have not spoken to you in five years, I'm not being like, oh, yeah, my girl. I, I No, but men are typically doing that. In fact, there's one study where they asked men and women to write down the names of people who they felt they could ask 
for financial help with. Like if you mm-hmm. need to hold a couple dollars, who are people you feel comfortable asking for money? Some of the men have put names of people who had died years before. <laughs> just to give some context. All right. So when women come to me and they're like, I don't know, it's just like my husband, you know, like, I don't know, like he's had friendships for like 20 plus years. I think that's really great. That's really great. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious also about what his friendships look like. So to compare the intensity we bring to to what theirs looks like and why are his just going on forever and mine have ended. There's just a lot of things to look at, but it's not that they're doing it better or they're less petty. It's just the nature of what we bring to the table, what we expect. It's going to look different than if we were a man with a bunch of friendships. I'm just saying. I love that. That is so, so, so true. That is like my dad in a nutshell. My dad has uh, people. I feel like he hasn't talked to him in like 20 years and I'm sure so, potentially one of them is dead. Yeah. Like dad, this guy died like yeah. in 97. So <laughs> take him out of your phone, you know? Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love this. This was so great, Danielle. Tell everyone where they can follow you, where they can learn more about your work and sign up for coaching. If this is something, I assume you do coaching like worldwide and everything like that. Yeah, it's been really fun. So everything lives at betterfemalefriendships.com. And that's where there's information on the the podcast, the Friend Forward podcast and coaching and all the things. But we're just trying to create a culture. I know people say that a lot, but you know, culture just means you subscribe to a certain idea of like values and you have a shared language. We have certain values and shared language around what it means to be in friendship. What does it mean? What to expect? How can we enjoy really healthy friendships? Uh, and so that's all that we talk about over there. And so I appreciate, you know, platforms like this where you're carving out time to talk about it because it's so important. Um, and um, and I just have a lot of respect for women who are in a season in their life where they're like, you know what, I'm going to get intentional about this the same way I was about having kids and getting married. And so yeah. I just applaud women who are in that season and we are here to support them through trying to figure out how to have better female friendships. Love that. Love that. And is your TikTok and Instagram, are you Danielle Jackson or friendship expert? Yeah. So I'm Danielle Byer Jackson on Instagram and on TikTok, the friendship expert. But, you know, I, so much of this is just, you know, the content is just responding to, to women. So it's not that I know all the things I'm, I'm listening to what they share. I get curious. I go and look up what the research has to say. I have interviews with the researchers and then I try to chew it up and bring it back. Like, okay, girl, so this is what they said playing English, you know? And so it's been really fun. And I'm so grateful for, for women who trusted me to be a part of their friendship journey. It's just been amazing. And, and my friendships look different because of doing this work. I mean, I'm sure, you know, you can't be in this world yes. and not have your own relationship shaped by what you're learning. Um, and so the whole thing, the whole experience has been, been a blessing. And I'm so grateful to um, have people like you think of me to come in and, and lend my voice to the conversation. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We will put everything in the show notes. Thanks for coming on, Danielle. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. To suggest an episode topic or support my work, visit amandaewhite.com. If you're interested in getting therapy from my practice, visit therapyforwomencenter.com. We're based in Philadelphia, but we have therapists serving 27 states across the country. 